Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I want to know if you're going to the Iowa State Fair. So you can text me if uh, if the answer is yes. Love to know. Uh, 877-933-2484. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have an interest in who is going to be at the Iowa State Fair. And yeah, mm-hmm. what's happening? Well, now? it is the best state fair in is the state. It? <laughs> That's the song. It's the best state fair in, in the, the state. state of Iowa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Other people think their state fairs are the best state fair. Well, Minnesota by far. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. <clears throat> All right. So do you have a favorite fair food? Mm-hmm. Maybe there are particular rides you like at the fair. I know that our fair no longer has some rides that have been people's favorites in the past, but I'm not really a fair ride person. Yeah, that's not my that's not my jam. I like I like like the pig races. Like I like the animal stuff at the fair. Paul, what about you? Um you know, I, I growing up going to the Minnesota State Fair, I always enjoyed Shows you my future. I like visiting the radio station booths. It's just even though I grew up on a dairy farm, and I even I even showed an animal at the Minnesota State Fair growing up. Oh, um, I love that! Got a blue ribbon. Um, the big thing has always been the media stuff. So yeah, that's really just, just me. Okay, this yeah. this is this says a lot about you. I think there are people who go because of the shows, and there's people well, who go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because of the tradition. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. a lot of people go for the food. Yeah, are you going to the fair? I'd like to know. Um, yeah, 877-933-2484. Uh, little news item here. President Biden has secured, I don't think he like personally did this, but this is the headline. <clears throat> so let's. this is probably better read. The Biden administration has secured a $6 billion deal, that's with a B, to free Americans who have been held hostage in Iran for some jailed Iranians um, here. So... Five Americans who have been imprisoned in Iran are being allowed to return to the United States. The Biden administration um, has agreed then to release a handful of Iranian nationals who are serving prison sentences here for violating sanctions that we have imposed upon Iran. Um, The six billion dollars in assets that will be now unfrozen by the United States um, have been in South Korea and those um, funds will be transferred into an account in the central bank of Qatar. Um, why does this matter? Well, because you can now assume that the price of an American hostage taken by a foreign adversary um, has just been reset to a billion dollars each. So when we think of um, the way that North Korea and other bad actors, including Iran, take American hostages... We've just been through this in Haiti with a nurse um, from um, from New Hampshire and her and her child taken hostage. And we don't know the ransom that was paid, but the you know, the asking price was a million dollars. Well, that has now escalated globally um, to a billion dollars. 
for every American hostage. Um, so it's a sober, sober, sober reality and story and um, major trade-off. Um, I, I like the conversation about trade-offs here. Thomas Sowell, um, who is a, an economist and a Christian, says we've been making these kinds of trade-offs since the Garden of Eden. Um, we've been talking about sacrificing safety for um, for the sake of others since the days of David. We've been making trade-offs um, like Jacob entrusting Benjamin to his brothers to earn the goodwill of Joseph for generations. Um, and ideally, David would never have lost his family, and Jacob would never have lost connection with Joseph, and these five Americans would never have been imprisoned in Iran. Um, but reality is what it is, and we've been making trade-offs since the beginning of time. So when you think about the trade-offs that we're making, you can judge whether or not they're smart or not. But ultimately, the ransom paid here is a billion dollars each, and that is going to affect the future in terms of these conversations. Um, I do also think it leads us to a conversation about the worth and value of every human life and the ransom paid for each of us by Jesus Christ. How valuable are you? Oh, yeah, there's not. You can't even put a numeric value on it. You're worth the blood of Jesus. That's God's perspective on this. God wanted you to be liberated from captivity held in bondage by the enemy to both sin and death. And Jesus paid that ransom with his life. Now, the enemy is never going to be satisfied. The enemy is never going to be satisfied. But the price has been paid. You can live in the fullness of the freedom that God offers in Jesus Christ. No matter, no matter where you're living in the midst of, um, of this temporal reality. All right, we're going to talk with our friend Paul Acey from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. That's up next. Again, I want to know, are you going to the fair? 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're going to possibly send Paul Acey on a tour to see the things that you guys are celebrating at fairs across the country. Uh, Dawn says, llama agility. That is absolutely the best thing to watch at the fair. We got a, a friend texting in saying, the butter cow at the Iowa State Fair. That is absolutely worth seeing. Uh, Christine says, yep, going to the Iowa State Fair next Wednesday. Going to be her first time um, uh, in a number of years, let's see, the last time that she went was nine years ago with her sweet husband who has since died. So she's going with a bit of, of trepidation. Um, you know what, Christine, we hope that you have fun. We hope it's a sweet day. We hope you have some, um, some encouraging encounters. And I don't know, according to these people, like go watch llama agility or, you know, the racing of the pigs. That's one of my favorites. So there you go. Uh, Paul Acey, going to the fair, been to a fair, like fair food, think it's all fair. I think it's all great. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will tell you, I bet you that, that Adam, who you normally talk with in this time slot, is going to be so sad that he wasn't able to join in in this conversation. <laughs> he was he was raised in Iowa. I know he's been to a billion state fairs. I He would definitely have much to say about them. 
The one I, thing I, I yeah, I'm going to project that he's at the Iowa State Fair right now. I know that's probably <laughs> not the case, but maybe that's why he's not with us. You know, let's just assume that that's what he's doing. He's watching the llama agility contest. He's uh, eating maybe he's maybe carving some... the butter cow. <laughs> maybe he is. He is a multi-talented guy. You never know he what he's going to. He do. is. We could speculate. Um, <laughs> Paul AC is with us today. If you were to go to pluggedin.com, one of the things that um, that you could uh, be reading about is the Beat, which is a YouTube channel. Um, what what is the beat? What do we need to know about the beat? The beat is a YouTube channel, as you say. It's by Alan Parr, who uh, who really dedicates his channel to talking about biblical and scriptural truths. Now, he deals with a lot of controversial uh, elements of theology within within the channel. He sort of helps walk viewers through some of those issues. Uh, and one of the things that, that we sort of found out as, as we were reviewing this is that he really does a fantastic job of unpacking these sort of ticklish uh, theological points in a very fair uh, way. He sort of talks about all sides of the issue. He does talk about where he comes down, but he acknowledges that that there's a lot of room to disagree. So for, for people who are really looking to really dig into scripture a little bit more deeply, he does a fantastic job of sort of taking you through that. He's almost sort of like a tour guide who who pulls you through some of these areas that sometimes when we're reading the Bible for our morning devotions or whatnot, we say, what is this about? And he sort of helps uh, helps you walk through that. Okay, this review is posted at PluggedIn.com um, by Kennedy Unthink. And I got to tell you, I now want to interview Kennedy Unthink about where <laughs> where his last name comes from. I know, I know. It took me a while to actually figure out how to pronounce it because I was a little intimidated. Oh, am I wrong? Is it, is it not is it, unthank? No, no, no. It's totally unthank. But I thought, can it really be that easy? Apparently, right, it is. right. Unt- you unthunk. should, unthunk. You should, yeah. <laughs> I totally want to have him on because here, yeah. So here's what I imagine: like, if I were going to write a backstory, like his people, his people are the people from one of the nine that didn't return and say thanks. <laughs> But they have since come to Jesus, right? I mean, they have obviously since come to Jesus. Anyway, there you go. That is my imaginative story about Kennedy Unthink, who is the author of this um, this commentary, this review at PluggedIn.com of a YouTube channel that if you're wondering, like, hey, you know, if I were to watch YouTube with one of my student age people in my life, you know, here's one that we might watch together. The Beat by Alan Parr. Um, yeah. Hey, he does- let's... Uh, we got to take a very, very brief break, Paul, because I have eaten up all of our time. But when we come back, um, I'd like for you to reflect on what would happen if AI took over. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Do, 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 do
All right. Uh, Kim Scobie says favorite uh, fair activity, kids dressing up your pet llama. What? All right. I don't even, I'm not even familiar with, not, I'm not even familiar with some of these fair activities. All right. Carolyn says, yes, going to the Dakota County Fair in Minnesota this weekend in town to celebrate a wedding. Um, Oh, also will attend the Tennessee State Fair for the first time in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's actually the Tennessee State Fair is the Wilson County Fair, but because it's the it's a it's the best fair in the state, the state just makes it the state fair. So it's really the Wilson County Fair that is the Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, we just in Tennessee just co-opt the best county fair and make it the state fair. We don't bother with you know something different. It's crazy, anyway. But there you go, crazy and true. What would happen, Paul AC, if AI took over? Boy, isn't that a question that everybody would like to know? Because AI is getting bigger and bigger all the time. Uh, one of our uh, intrepid reviewers slash writers over at Plugged In wrote a, a little blog, uh, basically sort of unpacking some of the theory. She talks about a lot of the things that we've seen in movies, the Matrix, the Terminator franchises. We talk about HAL 9000 and all these doom and gloom scenarios. But she also talks a little bit about how AI in the form of, say, R2-D2 or data from Star Trek can show a kinder and gentler side. Uh, The thing about AI for me is that it's so hard to predict where it's going to go. Because if we're really truly talking about artificial intelligence, these artificial intelligence creations could take their own futures in ways that we can't even imagine. Uh, I would imagine that the the futures that, that, that we might see down the road are beyond even our comprehension. But but one of the things that I loved about what, what Emily did with this blog is that she brought it all back because there's a lot of people who are very, very concerned about AI, right? And rightfully so in some ways. But she brings it back to a theological point that says, you know what? God is still in control. She says, no matter what happens, it won't take the place of God. It can't. We can program AI to create, but it can't create the universe. We can teach it to imitate affection, but we can't it can't love. We can even ask it to sacrifice itself to save humanity from some calamity. But just as none of us can ever take Christ's place on that cross, and just as we can never do anything to atone for his sacrifice, AI can never truly take over since God is in the one who's in control, not us. I loved that 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 closing line that, that she had because I think it, it gives us all, anyone like me who might be a little concerned about AI, it gives us a chance to take a nice deep breath and say, okay, God's got this under control. That's so good. Um, yeah, and I think I appreciate the perspective that um, is brought to bear here. Um, God, God is in control, and technology has been something that we have been working on since the beginning of time. Um, and technology is not the enemy. Um, and yeah, and, and I think that the way that it's laid out here is really, really helpful. I'd love to talk about Leanne Morgan. I'll just confess to you that, um, you know, I, I haven't been a consumer of, uh, of maybe like comedic entertainment, but I'm now following Leanne Morgan because she does make me laugh. Um, who is she and what do we need to know about her? 
So she is a 57-year-old mother and grandmother who was, uh, she has actually sort of re- reignited a comedy career sort of late in life. Uh, she actually has a special on Netflix that was in the top 10. She completed a 100-city comedy tour. Uh, she's she's now going to be in her very first movie at the age of 57, which is really encouraging for for some of us who are getting older and, and, and may have dreams of our own that we still want to fulfill. Uh, she sounds like a wonderful, wonderful woman. I have not talked with her myself, but from, from what Christianity Today says, she, she uh, they wrote a big, nice uh, feature about her. Uh, she sounds like a wonderful woman who has this sort of down-to-earth homespun comedy. Uh, it's pretty clean. It's pretty gentle. It's something that crosses generations. Uh, and, and it's really nice to be able to smile, to be able to laugh at some of the things that we experience in our own lives, right? Uh, and, and to do it without being worried what the people around us might be hearing, the, the, the language that, that might be coming forth from, from some of these other comedians' mouths. Yeah, um, I like these, uh, some of these quotes. People say I'm like a warm blanket. Um, <laughs> she, she, laughs, she laughs and then uh, you know, she touches her own arms as she speaks. She says, um, people deal with hard stuff all the time. They just want to hear something familiar and safe. So that's what I talk about. Beef stroganoff in a crock pot or going to concerts with old people or making jello for my family. So, yeah, I think that, right? I think like jello is funny. Je je making jello is funny. Like all of these things are funny. They absolutely are. They absolutely are. And and that idea that that people do deal with hard stuff all the time. Sometimes mm -hmm. we just really need to to sit back, to to have a safe space, you know, to smile, to laugh, to think about some of the funny things that happen in our own lives. And and I think that that Leon Margan effectively does that. She sort of comes into our living room, sits down, tells a few funny stories, and allows us to just relax. Yeah, I just I love that she just stands on her front porch with no makeup on and and talks to, <laughs> and talks like straight into the camera like that is awesome. All right. Um, what do we need to know um, about Taylor Swift re-releasing um, albums from the past? Like this is I actually just heard this like as a part of the news. And I'm like, first of all, maybe I'm not surprised that um, people who've been singing for a while every once in a while release the things that maybe predate their current audience? Is that basically what's going on here? It's actually more complex than that. It's it's really about a little bit of, if you will, bad blood between her and her old record label and, uh, mm. and the new owner of it. Uh, there was, she released six albums on Big Machine Records. Uh, obviously, they were hugely successful. When it changed hands... Uh, she really had showed an interest in buying back those albums, right? So she could release them. She's always been very interested in controlling every aspect of her career. Uh, but they would not really, she, according to her, they would not really sell those albums back unless she re-signed with them, which she wasn't willing to do. So all these re-releases, including Speak Now, which has been uh, dominating the Billboard album charts for so long, um, it's all really about 
regaining control of her own career. She wants to release these new versions. They're always titled Taylor's versions. So all these old albums that she released long, long, long ago, they're now coming out with new ones called Taylor's version. They include some new tracks, uh, but it's really about her sort of reclaiming what she thinks is rightfully hers. Mm. Uh, and clearly, not only is it an artistic decision, but it seems to be a pretty good business decision too, because these albums are doing fantastic yeah apparently if you uh visit a starbucks anytime uh they they now have like a hundred song playlist that's just on a loop in starbucks across the country and it's all taylor swift so i think there oh, are a lot goodness. of people out there that are huge fans and um and they're they're uh, they're feeding into this so um Paul, as always, thank you so much. We we love catching up with you guys. We didn't we didn't get the reviews in this week, but obviously you guys can go to pluggedin.com um, not only for movie reviews, but for reviews as we've talked about today of like YouTube channels, reviews of music. Um, this is a this is a wonderful place to go um, to find out. Okay, what's streaming? What's available out there? Um, Christians who are watching it so you don't have to in many cases and helping you know what our kids are watching um, and how to help them be discerning in terms about their in terms of their media consumption. So, um, Paul, as always, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. That's PluggedIn.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Today's breakpoint reminds me that we, you know, we have a birthday. Chuck Colson's birthday was October 16th, 1931. But Chuck Colson's rebirth day was August the 11th, 50 years ago. Um, what was your rebirth day or what is your rebirth day? What is the day that you were reborn to a living hope? Do you celebrate it? Do you celebrate the rebirth day of others? Do you... Do you mark it? Um, do you take note of it? I don't actually like exactly know um, my rebirth day. I can, you know, I can tell you the the place and the circumstance, but I didn't mark down the date. So you know, sometime in June um, of nineteen eighty four, and it was at a Young Life camp. So I can point to the the place and the season, but not, not the day. I don't like the rebirth day is not something I have marked on my calendar. Um, also in Chuck Colson's testimony about his rebirth day is the influence and significance of a man named Tom Phillips, who he knew because of his business dealings. And it's interesting and curious to me, the connection here between work um, and the kingdom work that we're all called to all the time. And so that leads us into a conversation next with John Lennox. We talk with um, Dr. Lennox from time to time. He's a mathematician. He's a philosopher. He serves in, in at this intersection of science and technology and Christianity. Um, he's one of my favorite Christian apologists around the world. And his latest book is A Good Return, Biblical Principles for Work, Wealth, and Wisdom. So how does your faith come to bear at work? And how are you, as God's workmanship, working out your faith? 
That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. John Lennox is a mathematician. He's a professor of science. He's a Christian apologist. He's a brother in Christ. His works are many. His day-to-day work continues as professor emeritus at the University of Oxford. He's one of my favorite apologists. Um, one of um, John's projects uh, is actually a movie. This is one of my um, one of my encouragements to you is to go check out Against the Tide dot movie, where John talks with Kevin Sorbo about the tide of contemporary atheism and its drive to relegate belief in God to the dustbin of history's dead ideas. And John Lennox does a masterful job walking around and talking about the reality of God. So Against the Tide dot movie. He's actually here today to talk about his latest book, A Good Return, Biblical Principles for Work, Wealth, and Wisdom. John, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Well, good good day to you. Um, does God care about my work? I think he cares intensely about our work. Uh, first of all, we see that God is a worker in the Bible, and uh, the first chapter describes his work of creation and he created men and women as the pinnacle of his creation in his image and he gave them work to do as stewards of that creation and that to my mind immediately gives work immense dignity god didn't say that he was going to uh, provide us with everything without having to work for it because Work is part of the way in which God intends us to develop our character and a relationship with him. So right from the very word go, God placed the first humans in a garden to tend it and to keep it. And we all know that if you don't look after a garden, it becomes a wilderness. And so work was built in as part of the definition of life. So it is really important. And Jesus taught about it as well. That's so good. Um, we are, I mean, work is a part of the original design, and I think that's important. Like, there is work prior to the fall. Uh, it's a part of God's um, positive design. That's not the way we think about it oftentimes. We, you know, we imagine that work is something we have to do, we're required to do, someone makes us do. It's a labor, um, it's toil. We don't often um, think about it as good. Yes, there are good works and there is good work, but most work we don't think of as good. Can you help us redeem that? Well, I think first of all that you're absolutely right in pointing out that work preceded the fall of humanity into sin through the temptation that actually happened in the garden in the sphere of uh, their work. And that's where most temptation happens. It happens in the sphere of work. But in a beautiful creation as it originally was, the humans were given the garden to tend, but they were also given another level of work, and that was to to name the animals. And of course, taxonomy like that is the basic intellectual discipline. So this was God encouraging science and all those disciplines, as well as the practical work in the garden. But the key to it, of course, was that it was meant to be done in fellowship with him. They walked, they talked with him. They had a sense of God being interested in all they did. And unfortunately, what happened when the enemy 
introduced sin into the world by tempting the humans to do things without God's fellowship uh, was that work became damaged and we realized that no work life is perfect. There are always thorns and thistles everywhere we go. That doesn't mean there isn't such a thing as job satisfaction, but it certainly does mean that we can't always have it. And so for the Christian, the crucial thing is to redeem the situation. And it's Jesus teaching about work that's absolutely critical here. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about this redeemed understanding of of work. Um, that gets us into a conversation about maybe the, the false dichotomy between the secular and the sacred and how we use all of our time. Can you begin walking us into this biblical conversation about the uh, the redeemed understanding of work as Jesus lays it out? Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's take the apostolic teaching first. Paul tells the Colossians, whatsoever you do, work as unto the Lord. He doesn't say whatsoever Christian things you do, like Bible teaching or uh, preaching or charitable Christian work. It's whatever you do. In other words, the Lord is interested in us 24-7. That is the first thing. So the implication is that there is no divide between, so to speak, work for the Lord and work for ourselves or work for our employers. And the way to sort this out, I think, is to realize that if you ask anyone in the street, why do you go to work? They say, well, I've got a wife and so many children, I just have to work to provide the necessities of life, food, clothing, and housing. Now, Jesus addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount in an utterly radical way. He said, don't be worried about these things. Well, we do worry about these things, but his way of dealing with it was to say, your heavenly father knows you need them. It's not that you don't need them, but these are the things, and he put it in a very odd way, a very challenging way. He said, after all these things, that is food, housing, clothing, and so on, the Gentiles seek, the pagans seek. And I remember that striking me very forcibly. Is Jesus really saying that to go out to work to get food for housing and clothing and the family is pagan. Well, yes, he did in a certain sense. Now, God has designed that we do get our housing and clothing and food by working. And remember Paul saying to some early Christians who got lazy, if anybody doesn't work, neither let them eat. He didn't say, uh, sorry, he said, if any man will not work, neither let them eat. He didn't say if anyone doesn't work, neither let them eat, because I think he foresaw unemployment. But the key thing is this. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, after all these things, the pagans seek, but you, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, here's the thrilling thing to me. It's a very high standard. Jesus is telling us to seek his kingdom in our work. In other words, our work is designed to be an experience of God's rule and government in our everyday lives. This is not saying that we should seek God's kingdom necessarily by sending a verse for the day to all our employees or our employer, but it's saying in the way we live. Now, he explains, the Lord Jesus does, exactly what he means by that. 
Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And here's where we can understand it immediately. There's not a job in the world, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's so-called Christian work or it's working in a factory or a mine, a hospital, or driving a bus that doesn't raise the question of righteousness, usually on day one. And the workplace is where God intends us to learn about his rule and righteousness. The moral lessons that we face in daily work are the things that will develop our characters. That's where we learn it. And that's where temptation will come, of course, as Joseph found in the very beginning stories of the Bible. In his workplace, he was tempted by a beautiful woman who wanted to sleep with him, as many a man has been since. And so we find that here is one basic principle that we can apply every day. And that is we start the day saying, God, my work is before me today. I want to seek your kingdom to see what I can learn about your standards and your morality. And of course, also, if the opportunity arises to witness to you. So that's how I begin to do this. And I do so in my book in great detail. We're talking with Professor John Lennox. We're talking about his newest book, A Good Return, Biblical Principles for Work, Wealth, and Wisdom. You can find John, this book, and lots of other resources at Lennox, L-E-N-N-O-X dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered where God is when you feel like you need him most? Do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath? Are you confident in that? Do you trust in that? Susie Larson has a brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. So we want you to win yours at MyFaithRadio.com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath. And we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Dr. John Lennox. Um, We're talking about his brand new book, A Good Return, Biblical Principles for Work, Wealth, and Wisdom. Um, I'd love for you to describe and maybe tell a story about what it means to be a gospel patron. Well, I'd be delighted to do that because uh, one of the reasons that I'm a believer is because the Christian gospel got to Europe. Now, how did that happen? Well, the Apostle Paul had a vision uh, to come over to Macedonia. When he got there, There was a a businesswoman called Lydia, a very wealthy person, and she owned clearly at least two houses, one uh, in her home in Thyatira and another in Philippi. And she said to the apostles, look, I've got a big house here. You can use it as your base. And it was from that base that the gospel reached Europe. And therefore, I ended up after several centuries being a believer. Now, the key to this is God's way of using different kinds of wealth and putting them together. In other words, Lydia became a patron 
to Paul and the gospel by using her financial wealth, her ownership of property, and it was put together with Paul's spiritual and moral wealth, his knowledge of the scriptures, his genius as a communicator. And putting those two kinds of wealth together was the way in which the gospel reached the world. Now, this has happened again and again. If we think of our English Bible and think of the work of John Wycliffe, he wanted to translate the Bible into English. The Bishop of London, whom he approached, wouldn't give him the money. But there was a man of whom most people have never heard called Humphrey Monmouth. He was also a trader in cloth, like Lydia, oddly. And he came to Wycliffe and he said, look, I will finance uh, your Bibles and I'll even use my ships to help bring them in from the continent. So with his wealth and the scholarly wealth of Wycliffe who translated the Bible, the Bibles came into Britain. And this has been through all through the ages. And God has men and women today uh, who are very gifted and wealthy in terms of their knowledge of scripture and the gospel and others who are financially wealthy and puts them together as teams to communicate the gospel. And a gospel patron is someone who develops that capacity in uh, a, a way that's intentional and cooperates with others and discusses where best the resources that God has given them can be placed. And it is a very exciting potential that many people have realized and the gospel has grown, missionary work has grown. It has always been the case. It's interesting that Paul himself, uh, sometimes he accepted patronage from other people who financed his work, but at other times, he worked himself as a tent maker to finance his team because there was no one else to do it. So it's not a question of either or, we can be both and, and that's hugely important in our contemporary world. Yeah, as, we're, as we are working, um, both doing the good works that God's prepared in us, prepared in and for us to do, um, and, you know, working jobs that may in the moment not seem very kingdom advancing, but God uses it all. I'm, um, I appreciate your, um, your helping us understand the concept of wealth, uh, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of relationships, a wealth of, um, of, of access to things because of um, various uh, kinds of wealth. And so can you talk a little bit about wealth? I love what you do with Luke 16 here. Um, and wealth management? Yes, well, <laughs> that's a very important parable that, uh, that Jesus taught that is much misunderstood uh, about what is called the unjust steward who was accused of wasting his goods. And he was a clever chap. And what he did was, uh, when he was told that he was going to lose his job, while he still had a bit of control, he invited the debtors to his boss in and he got them to reduce what they owed by half in some cases. And of course they were absolutely delighted. And he did this deliberately knowing of course the boss would eventually find out. But <laughs> the clever thing was what could the boss do? Because if he were to reverse what this steward had done, he would be the 
absolutely cast out by everybody. Whereas if he left it alone, he would be fated and praised by, by everybody who'd gained for it. And when the boss did find out, he called the man in and said, you clever so-and-so, basically. He, he praised him in that worldly wise way. And Jesus said, look, uh, you are children of light. You're not like this man who was immoral and unprincipled. But he showed a sort of wisdom that sometimes Christians don't have. In other words, he realized he was up against it. And he was concerned to make friends uh, with his influence that he still had so that they would receive him and possibly give him another job. Now, he said, you're not sons of uh, darkness like that, but you have got your hands on what Jesus called the mammon of unrighteousness. All money is tainted in a way. How do I know that I really deserve what I get when a nurse working in Africa maybe gets much, much less and so on and so forth? There's always a problem with that, that justification, even of what we get ourselves. But Jesus said, look, what you are to do is make friends with what you've got, whatever talent, including financial, so that when it runs out, which it will, those friends may be the kind of friends that receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, they have become Christians or they are Christians. And what Jesus is doing is utterly revolutionary. He's saying in the way we use our talents and wealth, we can make an influence to the size of the circle of our friends in eternity. And that's absolutely remarkable. Mm. And it changes everything. Mm. That's so good. John, as always, thank you so much. Again, if you have not watched it already, Against the Tide.movie, I highly recommend it. Um, also, John's new book, A Good Return, Biblical Principles for Work, Wealth, and Wisdom. John Lennox, what a blessing to be with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's get some sun outside. Let's have some fun. Ain't nothing like them summer sounds. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Friday Farm Report. I hadn't forgotten. Um, it's time to pick all of the apples from a couple of trees. And so we are dusting off our hundred and some year old apple press. And we'll be pressing apples this weekend for sure. We have had a, a new problem this year with apples, and that is birds. We have um, a family. I've never even seen a whole family of pileated woodpeckers before, but <laughs> we have one. Um, and they followed the, the the crows into the orchard, and they're in the tops of the trees, and they're literally drilling holes in our apples. So that's a little bit crazy. Um, the dogs are doing a great job with the squirrels, and so thankful for that. Lots of mowing. I have on my farm report mowing, mowing, mowing. Um, so every time the sun shines long enough for it to dry out enough to run a mower, we're running one. Um, the cows are doing great. And um, yes, our dogs are good, but you know, we're down a dog. So um, God has brought an opportunity for us to restore our pack to four. So we are considering the adoption of a fourth dog named Jack who needs a forever home. And so thinking and uh, thinking and considering adding Jack to our, you know, our wolf pack. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's what's going on here on the farm. What's going on where you are? How is God tilling the cultural soil of the day? How are you sowing peace? Um, how are you turning up stones and removing rocks and bringing forth a harvest of righteousness to the glory of God? That's what we are. We're culture cultivators. I mean, yes, some of us have the privilege of actual, you know, physical gardens and 
getting our hands uh, in into actual dirt, but every single one of us is a culture gardener. So how is it that God is calling you today to plant the seed of his word in conversations and um, be the person who reflects his light to others and takes people to the love well where they can draw in the living water. Let's, um, let's go be shiny today. Let's be a people of blessing. Let's produce good fruit to the glory of God. Thank you so much for spending this time together. We've got a lot of resources for you at MyFaithRadio.com if you haven't been recently. And you can always share the app and share the show with somebody else, the Faith Radio app, available all the time everywhere. Have a great day, a great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.